God, for the power that you've shown because we recognize that you are the only one who is mighty to save. We worship you for that this morning. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Well, as always, I want to greet you in the name of our Lord and welcome you here to Faith Bible Church. And we're so glad to be here together on this beautiful Lord's Day that God's given to us. We've been in a study of the book of Philippians, and this morning is our final study of this series that we've titled To Live as Christ. And I'm sorry, sad to say goodbye to this book. And uh, very sorry to say goodbye to this. This has been one of the most beneficial studies for me personally in uh, the last 26 years here at Faith Bible Church, especially these last few weeks here in, in Philippians chapter 4. For, for me personally, they've been, been especially rich. And uh, this morning's text is no different. We're going to end on a high note this morning here in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, let me read verses 14 through 23 this morning for us. Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the Lord write His eternal word on our hearts uh, this morning. A lot of you know the name Sam Houston. He's an authentic American hero. Um, he's usually associated with Texas history, but um, he was uh, born in Virginia. Um, he served as a congressman, as a, a governor of the state of Tennessee. Um, he had a, an unfortunate marriage that failed, and so he resigned as governor of Tennessee and went and lived among the Indians for a while in Arkansas. Eventually, he moved to Texas and joined the fight for independence there, and you all know the story how he led the, the charge to defeat, uh, to defeat uh, uh, Santa Ana there at the Battle of San Jacinto in Texas. When Texas became a republic, he was the first uh, president of the republic. Later, when they were admitted to the union, he was the first senator, the sixth governor of, tech, of the state of Texas. But, but life out on the frontier was very rough. He was uh, a very tough man. He was uh, a gambler. Um, he was, uh, in fact, someone said that he knew how to fight, gamble, drink, curse, and kill. So that's a pretty, pretty good, com- tough combination. In fact, he, he got the nickname. He was a very large man. They called him the Big Drunk. Uh, he, he finally got remarried again, and the woman he married was a very de- devout Baptist woman who prayed for him for his salvation. And he began to attend a church pastored by Dr. Rufus Burleson, who was president of Baylor University and pastored a small church in Independence, Texas. And now one Sunday, uh, the Lord grabbed a hold of Sam Houston's heart, and he went down and walked the aisle, and he shook the pastor's hand, and he said, I give you my hand, and with that I give my heart to the Lord. He was baptized in, back in 1854, and, and people gathered from all over, and the pastor wanted to think of something significant to say because he knew it was an important event, and so when he brought him up out of the water there in Brushy Creek where he was baptized, he said, now, Sam, all your sins are washed away, to which Sam Houston said, God help all the fish. <laughs> I like that. 
But before he baptized uh, Sam Houston, he, he saw his uh, chain hanging there with his watch, and he said, uh, General, you may want to give that watch to someone so you uh, don't ruin that in the water. And so he handed that to someone, and then he saw that his wallet was there as well, and he said, uh, he said uh, perhaps you'd better hand him your wallet too, to which Sam Houston replied, No, I believe not, Pastor. I'm afraid my wallet needs baptizing too. So he was baptized with his wallet. And after that, he paid half of the, the, the pastor's salary at the church. He gave all kinds of financial assistance to, to Baylor University, to the students that were studying there. And the author says this, Sam Houston's wet wallet, his baptized billfold, became part of the witness to Sam's new dedication to God. It testified to the fact that when God touched his heart, he touched his money also. I love that story, and it, it fits in so well this morning because in the book of Philippians, we meet a group of believers whose billfolds had been baptized. Uh, they're people who had sacrificially given to Paul's ministry for over a decade. Uh, this letter of Philippians, while it's many things, probably first and foremost, it's a thank you note to them for their gifts to Paul, especially here in these last verses. So in the spirit of the Apostle Paul this morning, I want to take a few moments to express my thanks and gratitude on behalf of our staff and elders for uh, the generosity uh, of all of you here over the years, but especially this last year. Uh, 2017 was a record year of giving here at Faith Bible Church. The total giving was $5.2 million. Um, close to a million dollars was given in the month of December. Uh, 620 families gave to our church last year. We gave almost $700,000 to missions. $250,000 went to Step Seminary down in Haiti. And that has a, that's an incredible impact down there for that seminary and for that, for that entire nation. And I could go on and on giving you statistics. You can read a lot of them in the annual report that Jay mentioned earlier. But I, but I have to say for myself, and I know this is true of our elders as well, our excitement is not the money as much is that it, it tells me that we have a lot of people here with baptized billfolds. That's the excitement for me. Uh, there's no more accurate gauge or barometer of our spiritual life and our spiritual condition than our giving to God. And that's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when He says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Lord Jesus says our hearts and our wallets are bound tightly together. And, and so giving is not a money issue as much as it's a heart issue. And so I'm overjoyed this morning because your generosity tells me that many of us here in this church, in fact, most of us have a heart for God and a heart for His work and His ministry. So uh, thank you for your generosity to our church, many of you for, for many, many years, but especially uh, for this last year. No pastor ever had a better a group of people to minister with than I have here at Faith Bible Church. And I, I believe that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But th this passage here, though, this morning is also more than just a thank you note. It contains some very important, insightful instruction that I think all of us here will, will find helpful as we go into this coming year. And we think about our stewardship uh, in 2018. So I've got four simple points you can see there this morning in your outline. I want to unpack this very practical passage, uh, this thank you note. And you can see I want to talk about the partnership. Then Paul gives a couple of pictures of giving. Then he gives a promise. And then he closes with the praise. So we begin with the partnership in verse 14. Notice Paul begins verse 14 with the word, nevertheless. So obviously this is tying it to what he has just said in the preceding verses. 
And if you're with us last time, you remember that Paul made it clear in verses 10 through 13 that he was very appreciative of the recent gift they had sent to him while he's under house arrest in Rome. But he also made clear to them that he was content whether he got the money or didn't get the money. In other words, Paul was content whether he had plenty or whether he was in poverty. In other words, plenty didn't make Paul more content, and poverty didn't make him less content because Paul's contentment was internal, it wasn't external. But Paul doesn't want the Philippians to misunderstand him and think his statements about him being content without their gift means he's ungrateful or dismissive of the sacrificial gift they've given. Paul wants them to know he doesn't take their gift lightly. And he's not disparaging their generosity in any way. So in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my uh, affliction. In other words, Paul's not disparaging their gift or dismissive of it. To the contrary, he considers them to be partners in his ministry. And I love that in verse 14. What a beautiful word from the apostle. He simply says, you all did well. You did well in sending uh, this gift to me. And if you look in verse 14, you'll see the word share. You shared with me in my affliction. And down in verse 15, you'll see that same word. He says, you yourselves know, Philippians, at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, that's where Philippi is, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Verse 14 and verse 15, in those two verses, you have two different forms of the word, the base word koinonia. We get obviously the word fellowship from her. It means to share in common or to partner together. And so Paul is picking up a theme here at the end of this book that he introduced back at the beginning of the book. In fact, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, in view of your participation, same word, your sharing, your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. So the Philippians had been gospel partners with Paul by sharing with Paul their financial resources. And when we support a church or a ministry or a missionary, we become partners in that endeavor. We become gospel partners or sharers together in that ministry. One way to think of this is that the Philippians were buying shares, if you will, in Paul's ministry of the gospel. They were sharing together with him. They were partners together with Paul in the ministry. Now, the partnership that the Philippians had with Paul has two interesting characteristics here. First of all, it was outstanding. Notice he says in verse 15, You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. So the Philippians stood out from all of the other churches in their generosity. They were outstanding in this area. They were outstanding among the churches. When Paul says the end of verse 15, in the matter of giving and receiving, that's the language of commerce or accounting. It refers to expenditures and receipts or the debit and the credit side of a ledger. Paul is saying what was a debit to you was a credit to me. What was in it, expenditure for you was a receipt uh, to me. So their giving was outstanding. They stood out, this Philippian church, among all the other churches. Now here in a few minutes, we're going to look at another passage. I'm going to show you a place where Paul says the Philippians were were poverty-stricken. These were poor people. 
yet they gave uh, to Paul. The other thing, though, about their giving, it wasn't just outstanding, it was long-standing. Notice in verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So their, their giving was long-standing in that they began to give immediately when Paul left Philippi. Paul was there for a, a short period of time and founded the church. When he left, they began to support Paul, and they had done it over a period of 10 years. They immediately began to give. And the, the same thing should be true in your life and in my life and in, in our families. Faithful giving should be one of the first disciplines that we establish in our walk with Jesus Christ. Let me just say this is a key for, for young believers and young couples to establish this discipline early. It won't get easier later. It'll get more difficult as time goes along and there's more demands. We have to start this discipline early. And one of the things this tells me is Paul must have faithfully taught the Philippians about giving in the brief time that he was there. He must have instructed them about this. So that's what led them, obviously, to, to give to him and be led to do that. And, and they began to give immediately when Paul left, but they kept on giving. They were consistent over a long period of time. So the Philippians gave uh, immediately, and they gave repeatedly. Their giving was outstanding and longstanding. Uh, it was early, and it was enduring. And that's a model for us in our giving as well, that we partner together and that our giving is immediate and it's repeated. So it's a model for us as financial partners in the gospel. Now, to make this more practical and relevant in our lives, Paul brings it down to earth and gives us a couple of pictures of our stewardship or our giving. Now, notice verse 17. Paul gives a disclaimer here again. He says, not that I seek the gift itself. In other words, it wasn't the money so much that excited Paul because he says, but I seek for the profit that increases to your account. Now, now think about this. Paul was more excited about the blessings that would accrue to them for their giving than he was about himself receiving the money. Paul cared more about their blessings as givers than his blessing as a receiver. That's an astounding statement. Paul says, I don't even seek the gift itself so much, but I'm excited about the profit that increases to your account. Now, in the language here in verse 17, Paul is using a picture from the world of finance or bookkeeping or accounting to help him grasp what he's saying. And as I said back in verse 15, he introduced a couple of accounting terms, um, expenditures and receipts or, or debits and credits, giving and receiving. But here in verse 17, he uses three more accounting references. Notice he says, but I, I don't seek the gift, but I seek for the profit. Literally in, in Greek, it's the word fruit, but it's here. It's talking about profit or gain. I seek the profit or the gain, and the word increases is a word that refers to, to compounding interest or dividends. And then he uses the word at the end of the, the verse there, the word account that we're all familiar with, where you place money to gain interest or gain dividends from that or some type of increase. So, so what he's saying here to the Philippians and to us is, when you give money to God's work, you open an account in heaven. And every time you give, you're making deposits to that account in heaven. And your heavenly bank account is an interest-bearing account is what he's saying here. 
Our giving to God yields an eternal rate of return from God. It yields daily compounding interest. There's accumulating dividends to our giving to God. And one of the things we can be sure of, that God is omniscient, God is a meticulous bookkeeper. God keeps track of every dividend and all the interest of every account of every believer. But what this is telling us when he says that the profit increases to your account is no one is ever poorer for giving to God. Our giving in heaven yields interest. It yields dividends. Look, the greatest beneficiary of your giving is you. You're the greatest beneficiary of your giving. It's not the person you give it to. The greatest beneficiary of giving is you. And that's why when people give money, one of the things that excites me is the blessing that they're going to receive from God for that. That's why Paul was more excited for them than for himself. What we give away to God is never lost. You know, I think a lot of people have this idea when they give money away to God's work, well, there it goes. You know, never see that again. It's just kind of money that was thrown away or it's lost. It opens an account in heaven that bears eternal interest and eternal reward. There's a man, some of you may have heard his name, Maxie Jarman. He was a believer who was extremely wealthy. He, he took over a, a company that his father had, and they had 75 employees. At the peak of the company, they had 75,000 employees. It was called Genesco. I think it sold in the 1980s um, after he was deceased for uh, like $1.5 billion. They were the largest apparel company, uh, I think, in the world back in the 1960s. And he was a very committed believer who loved to give, and he contributed millions of dollars to Christian ministries. And at one point, his ministry, his, uh, his, his uh, company encountered a serious financial reversal. And, uh, but even then, he kept contributing energetically without bitterness as, as much as he could to different Christian causes. But things got really serious with his business. And during the darkest days of, of this temporary financial crunch he was in, one of his friends asked him if he ever thought about those millions of dollars he'd given away and wished if he had some of those back. You can imagine that, right? And his answer was classic. He said, of course I've thought about all that I've given away, but remember, I didn't lose a penny I gave away. I only lost what I kept. It's a good statement. The same is true of us. We can never lose what we give away. The safest money that you'll ever have in this world is the money that you give away. You can never lose it. The only thing we can ever lose is what we keep. A bank in the deposit of heaven will multiply at compound interest to your advantage and to my advantage. I listened, uh, was listening to a sermon sometime back, uh, Alistair Begg. Many of you listened to him, I know, on the radio, a great preacher up in Cleveland. And he made the comment that it's good to have an IRA. Uh, it's good to save for the future. It's good to have an individual retirement account. But he said it's more important to have an IEA, an individual eternal account, where you're laying up uh, treasures in heaven. Because you've all probably heard the statement before, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And in the end, the only treasure that we will have is what we've sent ahead. That, that's all we'll have. I mean, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in or steal. 
So let me ask you a question this morning. Have you opened a bank account in heaven? Have you opened a bank account in heaven? How much is in it? Uh, when was the last time uh, you made a deposit uh, to that bank account in heaven? Look, God keeps a record, and God's record will follow us all the way uh, to eternity. And ultimately, when we leave this world, only what is there in that bank account in heaven uh, will last. George Truett was uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church in uh, Dallas for 47 years. He was the predecessor of, of W.A. Criswell. And he was once invited to uh, visit a wealthy uh, West Texas rancher. He had a, a large dinner there at his ranch home. And after dinner, he took Dr. Truett up to this veranda that overlooked his farm, his, his ranch. And uh, he lit up a big cigar there. And as they looked out at the beautiful sunset, he pointed to the south towards some oil rigs. And he said, I own everything in that direction as far as you can see. And then he pointed to the east to some cotton fields, and he said, I own everything in that direction as far as you can see. Then he pointed north to a huge uh, herd of cattle, and he bragged, and he said, preacher, he said, I own everything in that direction as far as you can see. And then he turned to the west, and he said, I own everything in that direction as far as you can see too. And when he was finished, Dr. Truett put a hand on his shoulder, and one hand on his shoulder, the other hand he pointed to the sky, and he said, well, tell me, brother, he says, how much do you own in that direction? It's a good question for him, but it's a good question for all of us as well. How, how much do we own in that direction? Make sure you have something in that direction and that you're making regular deposits. Look to Philippians in verse 18, had given to Paul uh, where they completely met his needs. Look at verse 18. I've received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied. The gift that they sent with Epaphroditus, his name is mentioned there in verse 18. He's the one that brought the gift from the Philippians to Paul in Rome, that 800-mile journey. Must have been a generous gift. Now, here's one thing I think is interesting. Paul never gives the amount of the gift. He doesn't say, oh, you know, thank you for that you know, uh, 500, 500 denarius you sent or that 1,000 denarius or whatever it is. Paul never states the amount, but it must have been significant because he says, I've received everything in full. Literally, this is another commercial term that means paid in full. Paul says, I've received full payment. You, you've paid me in full. And then he says, I have an abundance. Literally, it means more than you need. In fact, uh, one translation has the word rich. Paul says, I'm rich now from what you've given to me. And I am amply supplied. And amply supplied, that word in the Greek means to be filled, literally to be filled up. Paul says, look, you've paid me in full. You've given me more than I need. And I am filled up from the gift that you've given to me. So Paul is, is reveling here in this gift that they've given. Now, at the end of verse 18, Paul reflects on their gift now, and it leads him to paint a second picture. He says, what you've sent from Epaphroditus is a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. He pictures their gift as a sacrifice offered to God on an altar that's burned there and that the aroma is coming up to God as a sweet uh, savor and a sweet smell. Now, what this tells us is sacrificial giving is a pleasing aroma to God. And just think about this for a moment. You and I can actually do something that pleases God. I mean, just think about that for a moment. The eternal, infinite, majestic God, you and I as creatures on this earth can do something that pleases God. And one of the things that pleases God is giving 
uh, that is sacrificial. And that tells us that what pleases God is a gift that's a sacrifice. It's not just what we give that we could call maybe leftovers. It's not the surplus, but it's, it's a sacrifice. Adrian Rogers, some of you I'm sure listen to him on the radio. Man, if a, if a guy could ever turn a phrase, it's Adrian Rogers. I've written him down over the years. And here's a couple of his statements about giving. Don't give what's left, give what's right. It's pretty good, isn't it? Don't give what's left, give what's right. And he says, don't give until it hurts, give until it feels good. I like that. We're not to just give what's left, we're to give what's right. You remember back in uh, 1 Samuel 21, David had sinned against God and God had brought a plague on the people. And uh, to, to stem the plague, David went and offered sacrifice to God. And you remember he went and he, he wanted to buy the threshing floor of a man named Ornan the Jebusite. And actually, that is, David purchased that, and that actually is the place where the temple ultimately stood. In Israel today, the temple mount is the old threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David wanted to buy it. And Ornan wanted to give it to David. And one of the great statements in Scripture about giving, David said to Ornan, I'm going to pay you the full price. I'm not going to give to God something that costs me nothing. David said, I'm not taking that as a gift. This is for God, and I'm going to pay you the full price for it. I'm not going to give God something that didn't cost me anything. Giving that pleases God is sacrificial. Now, when you, when you hear the statistics today about giving in America, some of the statistics in evangelical churches today aren't very encouraging. One statistic I read, this is kind of, it's kind of humorous and it's in a bad kind of way. They said 17% of people in evangelical churches in one, st- one statistic uh, say they tithe. You say, well, man, that's pretty impressive. Well, the problem is only 3% of them actually did, they said. So a lot of people are kind of stretching the truth. But there's a lot of different statistics, but they seem to be pretty consistent. About 37% gave nothing. And the average, depending on which year they do it, varies between around 2 to 4% of people's income uh, that's given. Peter Marshall, who used to be chaplain of the U.S. Senate, said this, you better give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. It's a pretty good thought, isn't it? But, but again, remember here that when we talk about giving, that the measure of a gift is not the size of the gift, it's the sacrifice. Remember the, the widow who gave all that she had, those, those, those two, two leptons that she placed, those two mites? Her gift was bigger than all the others, Jesus said. It's, it's not the, the size of the gift, it's the sacrifice. It's not the portion, it's the proportion. The more we make, the more we give. It, it's not the portion that we give, it's the proportion. We, we're to give generously and give proportionately to what God has given to us. Now, I told you earlier that the Philippians were poor. I'm going to show you where it says that. Go back just a, I don't know, a few pages to the left in your Bible, the 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's bragging on the Philippians about their giving. So the, the giving of the Philippians was, uh, was legendary. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, Paul is challenging the Corinthians to give like the Philippians do. And notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which was given to the churches of Macedonia. And again, that's Philippi. That in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, 
In other words, it wasn't pressure. They gave because they wanted to. They begged us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. These people, Paul didn't want them to give anymore. They were so poor. They were begging Paul to give. And I love verse 5. This is the key. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. That's the key right there. It begins by giving yourself to the Lord. The greatest gift you can give God is yourself. I like A.W. Tozer's statement, we don't want a Christianity in which Christ does all the giving. We give ourselves to Him. And let me just say this, if you give yourself to the Lord, it won't be hard to write a check, and it'll probably be more than 2 or 3%. But giving that pleases God is sacrificial. Now let me say this this morning, and I, I want to say this as, as, uh, as uh, well as I can say it that in our family with Cheryl and I, we struggle with the rest of you in this as well. I, I, I believe that Faith Bible Church is a generous church. I believe that. I think that everything we see shows that to be true. But when I ask you the question that I've thought about this week, and I think about it a lot, I, I wrestle with it in my own life a lot. I believe that, that Cheryl and I, that our giving is generous as well. But the question is, is it ever sacrificial? That's a good question to ask ourselves in this country and with the plenty that we have. Are, are there things that we don't have and that we give up having because we give to the Lord's work? That's a good thought in our culture today. He says, look, your giving was an acceptable sacrifice, was well-pleasing to God. And I'm not going to stand before you here today and say that all the giving that I do is sacrificial, but I, but I struggle with it, I think about it, I pray about it, I literally I agonize over it at times to think about, what about that account in heaven? And so I ask you to do the same thing, and, and we, can, we, can, we can think together and work together and pray together that God will help us to be faithful in this area in our lives. I love these last words of verse 18 where he says, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. It's to God. Our giving is ultimately to God. When you write a check or you give a gift online to Faith Bible Church, you're not giving to me or to the elders or even to that missionary that you're giving to or, to, or even to Faith Bible Church. Ultimately, you're giving the gift to God Himself. It's a, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to God. God is the one who ultimately uh, we're giving to. We need to remember that. Now, this passage gets even better in verse 19. We have a promise. Now, last time I said chapter 4, verse 13 is one of the most misinterpreted verses in the Bible. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. But running a close second is verse 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Because this verse is quoted by believers all the time as if it's a blanket promise of God. In other words, it's quoted as if it's a guarantee that God will automatically provide for you as a believer no matter how you live. But notice the first word of verse 19 is the conjunction, and. So it's tied to what he's just said before. It's a, it's a conjunction that flows out of the preceding verses, which means that the promise in verse 19 only applies to faithful givers. Now, that's powerful, isn't it? It's not a promise to every believer, but only to those who take stewardship seriously. It's a conditional promise. It's a promise from God to those who are serious stewards. 
And I love how he says at the beginning, my God, my God, it's personal. What Martin Luther say one time, the, the Christian uh, faith is a matter of personal pronouns. The Christian faith is a matter of personal pronouns. He's my God. It's personal with Paul. My God shall supply all your needs. The word supply here in verse 18 is the same word uh, that's used up in, uh, verse, uh, uh, in verse 19. The word supply is the same word that's abundance uh, up in uh, uh, verse uh, 18. And it means to fill up. So Paul says, you all filled me up. And since you filled me up, God is going to fill you up. And he says, he will meet every need of yours. It's all-inclusive, physical, financial, spiritual. God will undertake to meet our needs. Now, it doesn't say God will meet our greeds. It says God will meet our needs. This isn't a, 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 a prosperity theology statement. God will give you everything you want, but God will take care of you if you're a faithful giver. Let me read some verses here that, that show this principle that you cannot outgive God. Proverbs 3.10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi 3.10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Luke 6.38, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. On and on we could go, but you'll hear people say sometimes, Well, I can't afford to give. Let me say this morning to you, you can't afford not to give. The creator and the sustainer of all things, the God who inhabits eternity, stands behind this promise. And all I have to say is shame on us if we won't trust him. We're people who claim that we have entrusted our soul to him for eternity. Can't we trust him with our substance as well? Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put him first. All these things will be added to you. Queen Elizabeth once asked a, a merchant to undertake a mission for her, special mission. And he responded and said, but your highness, such a long absence from my business will be fatal to my business. And the queen responded, you take care of my business and I'll take care of your business. And when he returned from his official assignment, he discovered that the queen's many connections had resulted in the, the rapid growth and the expansion of his company. I love that. You take care of my business. I'll take care of of your business. One more thing about this verse here. Notice he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, he doesn't say, I'll give to you from my riches, but according to my riches. There's a big difference. If Warren Buffett told me, Mark, I'm going to give you some money from my riches. Give me $20, right? A dollar. But if he said, Mark, I'm going to give you a gift according to my riches, now that'd be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? It's a lot different from your riches or in keeping with or according to your riches. God will supply our needs in keeping with or in accordance with his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And God's riches are infinite. They can never be diminished. Look, you can never, ever outgive God. 
And all of this, he says, is in Christ Jesus. God's riches are in a person. They're all tied up in the Lord Jesus Christ. Someone I read this week said it like this, My God is the bank. Shall supply is the check. All your need is the amount. According to His riches and glory is the capital. And by Christ Jesus is the signature. That's pretty good, isn't it? My God's the bank. Shall supplies the check. All your need is the amount. According to His riches and glory is the capital behind it. And the signature is by Christ Jesus. What a promise this is. May God help us to believe it and to live in light of this wonderful promise that God's given to us. He closes in this last section here with the praise, and we'll close here quickly. Notice verse 20, now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul can't hold back. I mean, this outburst of praise, thinking about what they've done, thinking about how it's a fragrant aroma to God, and thinking about the supply that God has. Think about this. In all of our giving, God is the one who gets the glory. Paul glorifies God in all of this for what the Philippians have done. And whenever we give to, to, to God's ministry, we're, we're giving to something that's much bigger than ourselves. We're becoming gospel partners. Look what he says in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, Caesar's household looked at the, the entire um, administrative staff that ran the government in Rome, about 200,000 people. And the gospel of Jesus Christ had penetrated even into uh, the, the massive civil service that supported the administration of the Roman Empire. And through Paul's imprisonment and his witness, servants, soldiers, perhaps even relatives of the emperor's own household had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I think what Paul is doing here in some ways is he's telling these believers at Philippi your support of me helped make this possible. You've been gospel partners with me in seeing all of this uh, come to pass. It's a typical, beautiful Pauline benediction, and it ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus, His free, unmerited favor. Now, look, we've talked a lot this morning about giving to God, but if you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, God has a gift He wants to give you. It's the free gift of eternal life that He gives you by His grace. The Christian life begins not with you giving something to God, but with you receiving something from God, receiving His forgiveness, receiving eternal life, receiving His Son, receiving the gift of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who although He was rich, for your sakes became poor, that through his poverty you might be made rich. It's not talking about money in that verse. When Jesus became poor, he took our bankruptcy on the cross. All of our sin, all of our spiritual bankruptcy was borne by him. The one who was rich became poor, that through his poverty we can become rich spiritually by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. God loves you, and he wants to give you the free gift of forgiveness and life everlasting. And all you have to do this morning when we bow our head here in a moment is just simply take the gift, receive it this morning. Receive that gift of eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our Lord Jesus and for his grace. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted in him, that they might do that here this morning. They might take that free gift that you offer and come to faith in Jesus Christ.
And Father, I thank you for your provision here at Faith Bible Church this last year. Father, we give you all the praise and all of the glory for everything that's happened here at this church this last year. I thank you for the way you've worked in the hearts of your people. And Father, I I can say this morning that I, I seek for the profit that increases to the account of every believer here. Oh, Father, may we be rich someday when we get to heaven because of what we've sent ahead. Oh, Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy to us as a church. Continue to sustain us and provide for us. And Father, I pray that we'll be true gospel partners as we seek to see the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrate our community and change our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'll stand with me for the benediction. Thank you all so much for being here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. We, we really appreciate your uh, coming and spending your morning with us here at Faith Bible Church. And um, I, I pray that uh, God will take His Word this morning and, and use it in all of our hearts and lives in a way that's pleasing to Him. If you're if you are a visitor, go out these doors. There's a, a welcome center out there, and there's some folks out there that love to, to talk with you about our church. Well, let's bow our heads now for the benediction as we leave here with the Lord's blessing upon us. Oh, Father, I pray now for myself and for all my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning that we will leave here this morning in the, the strength and the power of the Lord. We will go forth this week energized by your Spirit. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. All God's people said, amen.